welcome to Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast. I am your host, Mary Manziman, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dan Seligson. What's up, Dan? Miriam, what's up today are bees. Mm. We are going to be talking about bees, and while I have a real fear and loathing of stinging insects, I love bees. Um, I had a boss who once said to me, when it comes to breakfast, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. What I mean by that is when a bee decides that it's going to sting you, it is committed to the act of stinging you. I've been stung three times by bees, and each time I say, if this bee is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, I have to respect the fact that I did something wrong. If a bee stung me, it was my fault. So I feel like I've been responsible for the death of three bees. It was very painful for both of us. And I consider what we're about to talk about today as part of my atonement and my redemption in the world of the bee and in the eyes of the bees. Yes, now is the time to be respectful to bees. Right now, we are in the month of Elul and Rosh Hashanah is almost here. Many folks are familiar with the custom of dipping apples and challah into honey in Rosh Hashanah, but honey has a long symbolic history in Judaism. In the Torah, the land of Israel is described as flowing with milk and honey, and the manna that Jews ate while wandering in the desert for 40 years was supposed to taste like honey. In some communities, when a child goes to learn Torah for the first time, the child is given honey so that they associate Torah with sweetness, which is a practice that began in the Middle Ages. When we use honey on Rosh Hashanah, we are symbolically asking for a good and sweet new year and to be inscribed in the Book of Life. It is impossible to overstate how important bees are to the world's ecosystem and environment. They pollinate, increasing crop yields and reducing production costs. They basically keep the environment and food system working. Without bees, humanity would essentially be fucked. Given the importance of honey in our tradition and the key role bees play in our environment and ecosystem, Dan and I have gone ahead and decided that beekeeping should be a new mitzvah. We are so excited to have two of our amazing colleagues on the podcast today, both of whom are beekeepers and are fulfilling this mitzvah we just invented. Carr Littlewood settled in situate on Boston South Shore almost three years ago. She is a big proponent of permaculture and organic gardening, so beekeeping was a natural extension of that helping to maintain a balanced natural ecosystem without pesticides or herbicides. She's executive assistant to Combined Jewish Philanthropies COO, which keeps her extremely busy. Brielle Berman grew up in upstate New York in a rural town called Pine City. She attended the University of Rochester and Elmira College before moving to Boston three years ago, first living in Dorchester and now in Newburyport with her scotch collie puppy, her boyfriend, and approximately 30,000 bees. She works on CJP's events team. Kara and Brielle, welcome to the Jewish Boston Podcast. Thank you Thank for having us. Yeah. We're so excited to get both of you here to talk about your beekeeping experience. So what inspired you to take up beekeeping in the first place, Kara? Um, I'm basically an old hippie. Um, I love gardening, permaculture, and just having some, well, just being part of the ecosystem, really. And what better way to grow better vegetables than to have bees on site to pollinate them? So I've got about an acre um, and it's full of flowers, herbs, fruit, vegetables. And I've got about, let's see, about 300,000 bees. So, wow. Yeah. How about you, Brielle? I'm also kind of a hippie. Um, I have always liked being outdoors. As a kid, I didn't have TV. So 
you know, like ant hills were toys and, you know, things like that. So I always wanted bees and my mom wouldn't let me get bees. So as an adult, I said, let's do it. Yeah. It's yeah. your rebellion. Yeah. yeah, it's my rebellion. <laughs> so you're, it sounds like you, you have an acre, Cara, and I don't know what your situation is, but this is, um, this is not urban beekeeping. This is, this is suburban, almost rural beekeeping if oh, you have yeah, an acre. Well, and where yeah. do you keep them? Um, I've got a choke cherry tree in the backyard, and they just sit quite happily under there. So when I started beekeeping, I took a course, um, and I was living in Dorchester. So I was planning on having urban bees. Um, a lot of people keep them on rooftops or even in backyards. In the city of Boston, you can keep bees, um, which is really awesome for a city urban environment. Um, I happened to be moving, and I moved up to the North Shore. I live in Newburyport. Um, my bees live in Newberry, um, and they have acres and acres. Uh, they live in the woods, actually, uh, right behind um, one of the farms. So, And yeah. what do you need to get set up? Let's say <clears throat> I have an acre. I don't. I probably have a 164th of an acre, <laughs> which is, is a typical that's, Arlington that, lot. That's all you need because they, they forage for about three miles. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. They won't just, you know, forage from your lot. They'll they'll travel three miles to sort of fill their little pollen bags yeah they don't know about zoning no 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 zoning zoning doesn't matter but how do you um what materials do you need to get started i know i've seen these boxes and Mm -hmm. i know you probably need something that you don't get stung and i don't know tell me more so it really depends which type of hive you choose there are a number of hives i have a long hive um which is those traditional boxes that you see on top of each other um, so you need two to three of those. They come in different sizes. They have frames. Um, so, yeah. Cara. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you have your hive box, and then they're filled with frames. So, as you're just saying, they they come in different sizes. So mine is um, mine's a ten frame. Mm-hmm. Yours, yours is yep. ten. Or mine's eight. ten. You've yep. got a ten frame 10. too. And you basically stack them on top of each other. So once one's full of brood, then you can put another one on top, and they'll fill that with honey. Brood so of the this baby is, bees. Okay, so this is a I practical slash stupid question. <laughs> you need to get your bees from somebody yeah. and then yeah, yeah. stick them in that box. It's competitive to get really? bees. It really is. So the first thing you should do is join your local beekeepers association because you'll end up having classes. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get a mentor through there. They'll guide you through what equipment you need. So you need a hive tool because the bees are very fond of sticking everything together with propolis, which oh, is yeah. essentially bee glue. So, you know, when you need to get the top off, you have a hive tool and you're basically trying to, you know, wedge it off. It's It, it can be challenging. It's um, much more physically taxing than I thought it would be Mm. and it's heavy yeah it's really heavy you know you can get you know five or ten pounds of honey on a couple of frames and it's it weighs a ton (laughs) it really really does but you do need I mean your basic equipment is you need a hive tool you need a brush you need um, all your hive equipment so you've got your the, the hive body and the frames you need a baseboard you need a top you need um, a stand for it all to go on mm-hmm. and you do need gloves and you do need a veil and, mm-hmm. a ja- and a jacket I mean anything else you know you can wear your jeans and a, tuck your socks in your jeans and stuff like that and that's fine but I'd say you know I went I spent my first year without using 
well, anything other than a veil, really. But this year, my bees are really quite feisty. Wow. <laughs> so now I have to wear gloves and a jacket. I'm but impressed. They have chutzpah. Oh, yeah. Those bees. I'll say. I mean, I for me, the level of anxiety the first time I need to go in and take something from insects that are determined to not let you take it. Yeah. I think that would be sky high anxiety for me. Well, you need a smoker as well. So what you do is you blow smoke at them. And then they all sort of back down into the hive and calm down a bit. So mm-hmm. they so, eat a bunch of honey because they think they're trying to survive a wildfire. So they just get yeah. super oh, fat and yeah. lazy. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, they're basically the smoke is making them go straight. That's yeah. a nasty trick. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. It works. It works. It really does. The gloves are really important, though, for sure. I can imagine. Unless yeah. you're just sticking your hand right in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, the, you know, it, it depends. I mean, I've got one hive that's really, really docile. Mm-hmm. And they're only going to sting if, one, they think you're going to attack them. Or, you know, so if you're wearing a nice big black T-shirt, then it's, it's like, oh, my God, it's a bear. Yeah, <laughs> they don't like dark colors. Attack. Uh, yeah, wow. that's happened to me. You know, it's smart. interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, one of your questions was whether bees actually recognize yeah. bee, bee, beekeepers' faces. And I thought... I wonder if that's true. And I thought, well, you know, you're always wearing a veil. So can they actually see through a veil? Mm-hmm. But again, I was saying, I had one, I've got one hive that's really, really docile. And then another hive, which is just badass. <laughs> it's just mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually started to research it. And there was actually an article in this Scientific American that said that beekeepers use um, a similar um, processing mechanism as human beings to identifying people and faces so i didn't know it but they know me (laughs) that is interesting because the life cycle of a bee i forget how many days a bee survives but i think it's like 28 or something am i wrong my my science isn't all there but i was like (laughs) oh well if they're dying every 28 days can they really recognize me but for some reason, I feel like they can not like smell your scent, but like the vibrations of your body, mm-hmm. um, they're super attuned to. And you can actually hear like when you approach the beehive there, but they keep a specific tone when they're calm and then you can mm-hmm. hear them oh, yeah. get worked up. So I think they can like kind of tell if you're coming. Oh, I, I can I feel think you. so. I yeah. definitely think so. It also depends on the weather. Right. Well, speaking of, so this <laughs> is a great segue because I've always wondered, what on earth do you do here in New England? when it's a winter um how did the how do the seasons and weather affect the hive like what if there's a big snowstorm how do how do the bees deal with that so i'm a first year beekeeper so i'm gonna shift this to cara because (laughs) mine haven't survived the winter yet (laughs) all right so i've had one hive survive to the spring and then we had this crazy fluctuation in weather in march where it sort of like hit 90 and then went back down to freezing again and i i lost a hive that way um but in the winter they basically ball together and form like a little warm ball around the queen so they all huddle together, stay warm, and they survive. I do feed them, so I put like little bee patties of pollen and stuff like that in there. But um, it's moisture that'll kill the bees rather than the cold weather. One year I did put tar paper around the hive to kind of give it a bit more insulation. Um, but last year I did nothing and they were fine. Oh, interesting. Because I do a lot of reading on this. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, how am I going to get them ready for winter? I need to, they need a winter jacket. Yeah. You know, so people coats. do like they'll put things around the hive or you know you can put like candy boards inside which is like an entire sheet of fondant 
so that they have something to eat. But that's interesting. Maybe I'll just strap them down. Like, you just want to keep all the boxes together. Yeah. So just bungee cord them to their stand and just let them be. That's be. basically nice, <laughs> nice. That's basically what I do. Yeah. Just got a big so. strap. Strap them down to the... And they always say, in like my beekeeping class, they used to say that for every question you ask a beekeeper, you'll get like eight different questions, or eight different answers. Yep. Because everybody does it differently. It's really instinctual, like what you feel is best for your bees, or, you know, you can read one blog that says to cover them, and then, you know, Cara says, well, I didn't cover mine, so mine are fine. And it's really, you got to go with your gut on it. Yeah, a friend of mine has just bought three um, three hives from somebody who was moving from Maine, and his hives have survived in Maine, you know, for, you know, the three-year-old hives, so. Going back to, like, where do you get your bees from? Like, do you buy them? And I was saying it was competitive. Um, a lot of people really want to buy bees from New England. Like, if mm. someone has had their bees survive here for a couple years, that's, like, gold, because the majority of the bees come from down south. So yeah. you buy a package of bees at the beginning of the season. They're coming from Georgia. You know, the, Georgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of them come from Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. And they drive them up over 24 hours and you pick it up and you throw them in a box. And these are bees that essentially are used to Georgian climate or the southern climate, but you're bringing them up north. And so there's a big debate on whether, whether you should go with bees that are from New England or from Georgia. I have, I would say a third or fourth grade scientific understanding of Mm -hmm. the hierarchy and makeup of a bee colony. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm wondering what you've learned and what, what did I learn in, you know, fourth grade about a queen and drones and bumblebees and whatever else that was just nonsense and kind of what, what is the true hierarchy in a (laughs) bee society? Well, the queen is the goddess. So her job is basically to eat, mate, and lay eggs. And she'll lay about 1,500 eggs a day, pretty much, if she's a a nubile young thing. Um, The drone does nothing but mate. Um, He can't even feed himself. So he's like this big, fat, stingerless male with, like, wraparound Ray-Ban sort of eyes. Do they leave the hive, (laughs) or do they just hang out in there the whole time? Uh, No, they go out. They'll go out and do, like, a little little mating flight, and then they get fed. but uh, you have to feel sorry for the drone because if there's a shortage of food and coming up to winter, then all the female worker bees will just like kick them outside. So they're, they'll, they're they'll, the they'll outside just... of that ball in the winter. They're not even there. <laughs> oh, they can, they can make it, come, even make it into the ball. Uh-uh. Okay. So when there's sort of a dearth of pollen and food in um, in September or October, whenever, um, they'll just kick the drones out and they will freeze and die. And starve Brutal. because Brutal. they can't even feed themselves. Poor Real things. life. <laughs> yeah. Real life in yep. a hive. <laughs> yeah. So we've got the queen, the drones. And then you have all the female worker bees that do absolutely everything. everything. They do everything. So you've got the nurse bees that will nurse and feed the queen and for any, you know, pupa. Um, you've got the queen's attendants that groom the queen, basically. Uh, they, you've got, um, you've got cleaners, so they'll clean the hive and make sure that you know all dirt, pests, and everything is removed, and dead bees are removed. Um, some will just sort of, you know, act as basically hairdressers for other bees and groom other bees. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have we got? Um, My favorite are, is it the nurse bees that make royal jelly? Yeah. 
So if for if something bad happens to your queen, if she gets injured or she gets old or sick or she just doesn't lay effect, yeah, she doesn't lay effect efficiently. <laughs> yeah. The other bees, it's like um, like a they like sense they, it. Oh yeah, they can sense it, and so they will take any random pupating larva mm-hmm. and insert this stuff called royal jelly, which they make. It's like somehow super, in it's their like, bodies. It's like super concentrated pollen and food. Yeah. So and it becomes a queen. Mm-hmm. So they'll because grow, they they'll, said so. They'll grow Whoa. queen cells. So it's like voting through jelly. Well, it's like a political overthrow. <laughs> right. like, actually, it, it's 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 like um, it's, it's like a, a handmaiden's tale. Oh god! It really is. It's like you're not producing enough oh brood. <laughs> it's like you're no longer fertile. So it's like I'm sorry to the colonies. Not enough kids. Let's produce another one, and the queens will fight. You know, there's only one queen. Mm-hmm. Only there can one only queen. be one queen. There can if, only be one, one queen. queen. Just if. like in Game of Thrones. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> so you got I, one in there. Good thank, you, thank you. Um, so I do want to ask you, what are the names of your queen bees? Brielle, have you named her? Mine. I don't interact with her enough. See, if we had more of a connection, she might have a name. But I have. You don't always find her. I mean, she's got a big pink dot on her back. Um, there, it's actually cool. The dots on their backs are based on the year that they were queened yeah. or became oh a queen. became queen. So, like, if you're like, oh, well, I have a pink one and that's for 2018 and I technically you should only have a queen for, like, three to five years, mm. I'll know, like, that I have to change to blue or whatever. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so, so anyway, she doesn't have a name, but I don't know. She's fine. She <laughs> has a place in right. she, Yeah, she has a place. She's, she's a, a very important yeah. place. Yeah. I know. I know. I feel the same. I, I haven't really named mine queen either. I mean, one has got a big blue uh, big blue dot on her butt, so another one has got, you know, a green one, and another one's yellow. Mm-hmm. So it's... You know, it's really exciting actually pulling the uh, pulling the frame from the hive and just checking to see if you can see your queen. And it's you know when you've got a hive that's you've got sixty thousand bees in a hive. You know, it's like trying to find where's Wally, but then you know eventually you'll find her. Yeah. So, okay. So Brielle, I think yesterday you did your first harvest. Is I that did. Correct? How did I that did go? Do my first harvest. It was awesome. Um, it was very time cons- very time consuming, but also very like cathartic and I mean I find beekeeping pretty cathartic in general like where it's like relaxing and yeah is that the definition of cathartic I don't know anyway quite, but I, I like it saying. yeah <laughs> it feels nice um so when we were talking about you know there's a couple brood boxes mm-hmm. on top of the brood boxes I have a honey super which is another box it's a little bit smaller than the other boxes below it and that's essentially any honey that I can take because the bees need honey to survive the winter. That's what they're going to eat throughout the winter. So you want to leave a little bit for them. Um, but that box, supposedly, you can take as much as you want out of that box. So, yes, I harvested. I got almost a gallon of, like, filtered honey, basically. So what I did was I have I have frames that have foundation, which the bees build off of, and that's, like, pre-man-made beeswax. And then I have other ones that do not have foundation. So that's what people call cut comb honey. Um, it's super popular. You can buy it at, hot, at Whole Foods. Um, and that's just chunks of beeswax with honey. Um, and it's the comb that you would traditionally identify as honeycomb. Um, so I have that, and I put them in jars. It was, I don't know, it was great. So what is your plan to do now that you've jarred it? 
And I know you well, brought you brought us. A, I did. I bring I brought a, you a some. cute, cute little jar of honey for us to try later. So are you giving away to friends for Shana or family? So I'm going to keep some of it for gifts. I definitely owe some. I owe a lot to a lot of people. Um, I do have a lot though, and I actually had um, a friend say, you know, I work at this cafe and I do all of the social media and buying. We would love to buy your honey and sell it in our gift, like in our store. And I was like, I never even thought I could sell my honey, um, but I have so much of it. And I'm not the biggest honey consumer personally. Like I do it more for the science and the fun, mm-hmm. not for the honey. So yeah, I don't know. I'm probably going to sell some of it. Awesome. Yeah, if I can. Clara, what do you do with it? Um, I usually give it away. I usually keep a little. <laughs> She's okay. nicer than me. I try and keep a jar for myself for every year, so I can see Lovely. what color it is. Mm-hmm. So I harvested a little bit a couple of months ago, and it was it was a real golden color. Whereas my first year honey um, here in Situate was a really dark chestnut brown, mm-hmm. and they taste different. It really does depend what they're feasting on. Um, last year's was really herbal. Um, this year, it just it's just it's really fragrant, almost like an orange blossom mm. tang to it. So I have no idea what they've been foraging on, but it was really orangey. Are they having a good year? Like, is this a good bee year? Um, actually, it's been really tough because, um, uh, well, a lot of things were, you know, coming into bloom really quickly because it's been so hot. But it also means that a lot of flowers and plants have sort of matured and, and died and bloomed early, mm-hmm. so to speak. So... I don't know. I'm going to do my big inspection this weekend. Hopefully, if it's not over, if it's not overcast. So fingers crossed. So, what does being a beekeeper mean to you, Kara? I know that you were telling me something about how sort of it helps you focus and relax sometimes, and just it does because yeah. everything has to be very slow, very deliberate. Um, it is like enforced zen. It really, really is. And I've actually brought some a very stressed colleague from here to come and sort of meet my bees. And therapy bees. They are therapy bees, basically. So you know, they they there's nothing you can do if if somebody's handing you a frame full of bees, other than like run and scream. <laughs> You've got to stand there and be very calm and very still and hold it. There's nothing else you can do. So um, that's exposure therapy. I it mean. is. Oh, come over. We'll get you suited. We'll get you suited and booted. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I actually have um, an old deck chair in front of one of my hives, and of an evening, you'll probably see me sitting in front of it with like a gin and tonic or a beer or something, just watching the bees coming, you know, in and out. It's fascinating just to watch them, and it's just really relaxing. It really is all these little bees being so industrious it's like one bee will like live what 60 days and produce what quarter of a teaspoon of honey Mm. and you're gonna gorge yourself on that jar (laughs) (laughs) slave labor for nothing (laughs) right it was just hand delivered to her exactly brielle what does it mean to you i agree i mean it is a time to slow down and reflect um I person so I'm like one of those extroverts that also inside like is secretly an introvert. So after like a long day of talking to people, I kind I need alone time. So it's a really awesome way to have alone time. Um, as Kara said, like you can watch them coming in and out, and when there's 
a huge pollen flow. Like they pack it onto their legs. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, this one has more pollen than that one. Oh, this one has more pollen than that one. Like, <laughs> they're wearing how, where's all this pollen coming from? Um, they're wearing like little yellow pants. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, or, you know, they talk about robbing where like other bees will come into your hive. And like I've watched um, a bumblebee try to go into the honeybee hive and they will kick him out. Oh, yeah, the god bees will just attack. And I've it's said. like so awesome and so intelligent and it's just so cool. Yeah, so... Yeah, my friend's dog made the mistake oh, of no. um, oh, actually going up to the hive because he could smell, you can smell the honey in the air. You know, I mean, in this weather, in this yeah. heat especially, you can smell the honey. And uh, one of my, my friend's dogs walked straight up to it and just sort of no, snuffled at the entrance of the Is hive. She okay? Uh, yeah, 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 fine. Had a bit of a fat lip from oh. a couple of bee stings because, you know, it's like going to just snap. <laughs> yeah, I bet she's not going to do that again. Yeah. yeah. That so, was the one rule was I, when I, so my bees live at my boyfriend's mom's house because mm-hmm. we live in a city and she lives in the country. Um, and the rule was I had to keep them away, like far enough away from the dogs so the dogs didn't get stung. You have the right priorities. Yeah. yeah but so. most dogs are sensible enough to know not to. This one dog was just particularly dim. Most dogs will sort of wander around and have a little look and then just leave it alone. This one was My just dog like, bites Ooh. at them. Like he'll oh see one God. flying and be like, yeah, weirdo. My dog does the same thing. Yeah. She sees a bumblebee. She's like, "What? I gotta kill that." <laughs> so, She's of all of right, the though. things that you love about this, and it sounds like there's a lot to love about beekeeping, uh, except for the possibility of of fear related um, <laughs> <laughs> issues. If if you're stuck holding a frame and you go so in and grab a gin and tonic, <laughs> and I'm holding a frame full of bees and I can't move, um, what what is your uh, your favorite part about all of this that keeps you doing this and so motivated to do it next year and keep it going? Um, I think, uh, well, it's it's ensuring uh, the survival of, you know, our pollinators. Uh, I have no spray zone um, signs up in my yard and I've, I've you know registered with Massachusetts Department of Agriculture to say that you know you cannot spray anywhere near my property because uh, so many um, so many hives are destroyed through people just spraying you know their yard for mosquitoes and all this kind of thing and um, and using Roundup you know all these neocotinoids and things it just if you think of these bees that are going out and they're um, harvesting pollen from flowers that have been sprayed and from yards that have been sprayed all these micro traces are being brought back to the hive and what are they eating during the during the winter months they're they're eating and absorbing all these chemicals and then you end up with um colony uh colony collapse disorder which is heartbreaking um and you know we have um my local beekeepers association plymouth county beekeepers we have you know our own online forums and every so often somebody will say i've just lost somebody sprayed and i've just lost my entire hive and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. it really really is so i kind of you know i feel like a custodian almost you know even if you do leave a hive uh, lose a hive i mean one of my hives absconded there were no dead bees they just disappeared don't know what happened don't know what happened i (laughs) you know they hadn't outgrown that they hadn't outgrown the hive i've no idea why they just 
up and left and it happened to somebody else and it's just kind of how dare you i <laughs> love I you, you. I, I loved you i cared I for fed you. you i've loved you you've yeah. nursed you all the way through the winter and this is how you repay me <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think for my own selfish reasons and i think for everyone's selfish reasons we shouldn't spray i mean if you love honey or you like any natural sweetener like it's you know you're well, gonna end you up, like you're fruit- gonna end up out eating the roundup yeah if, so, you, if you like fruit and vegetables you yeah need exactly <laughs> and i love fruits and vegetables so i i mean i don't have a garden i don't i mean i live on the border of a couple farms so i'm really just benefiting them um but there's a huge sunflower field about two miles from where the bees live um that just kind of popped over the weekend and I'm hoping that they'll get in into the sunflowers. It'll be incredible if yeah. they do. Yeah. So we're now we're going to jump into our little speed round. So our first question for both of you, Brielle, let's hear from you first. What is your favorite thing to do with honey? Put it in tea. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like honey that much. Okay. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. You're very, you're very generous in giving it to other people. Well, I don't have a sweet tooth either, um, oh but I, I, I like to use it as a face mask. I was going to ask oh, about yeah. that because I know that royal jelly is like in a lot of beauty products and honey is in a lot of beauty products. Good old raw honey. Yeah. Yeah. Good old raw honey. Yeah. It's great. Have a soak in the tub, slap some on your face. It's great. You can even lick it off after if you really want to, but you know, it's fine. I want to try making soap. Apparently oh, you can make soap that from like beeswax and the honey and yeah. Yeah. You can make Shabbos candles with... I'll, when I try that, I'll I'll actually give that to you. That would be so, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I give my be- I give my beeswax to a friend who makes candles and soaps Lovely. and lotions and potions and stuff. Have either one of you ever received a particularly memorable sting during oh. your beekeeping? Just oh. a, a one of a kind, oh, beyond the God. norm. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> yes. And what what happened? Um. Well, bees are very curious, um, and I don't know how, but one ended up in my bra. And <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh. You honestly. gained a cup size. Please it's not, laugh. It's not funny. <laughs> it's more. Tra- I'm just. I'm just laughing out of fear. Well, it was fine, and you know, just kind of wriggle, realize there's something there, and I just, you know, I squashed the poor beast, and it stung me. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I've also stood on a bee, which was really not. Ooh, oh, that was not good. I would say the worst ones are they got me like right kind of like in the groin area this is so a right tough by, like right on the thigh thing you guys are and doing like, and my reaction personally is like, i don't know how everyone reacts everyone reacts differently but i get like it hurts and then it's itchy and then it's swollen it's like double the size so once they got my finger oh man because i wasn't wearing gloves because i thought i was better than that but i'm not um and i got my finger and it was like my finger was like double the size i couldn't bend it it's not fun so what is one fun fact about bees that our listeners will not know? Well, I spilled the beans about drones. Um, <laughs> That's so the sad truth about the drones. The sad truth about zone, uh, drones, yeah. Um, I think what's really amazing is if things break into the hive. So one hive, a mouse got into the um, hive. And I saved the mouse for um, to show some friends, kids. So a, a tiny little mouse got it, managed to get into one of my hives um, over winter. And um, they'd obviously stung it to death. And then they covered it in propolis. So 
so and it was too big for them to sort of shove out of the hive, but they'd managed to sort of push it down and, you know, to try and clean it all out. They should so. have put it on a stake and right. put the stake the outside of the I hive know. for others. Nice. But it was practically... Ramsey style. Right, exactly. Thank there you, Dan. It was practically mummified. It was fascinating. That is truly But maybe that's just me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's riveting. <laughs> Propolis is really cool. It's like yeah. this sticky bee glue that you can use for a number of reasons. And it like actually makes the hive like antibacterial, right? Mm. So yeah, so it's, it's an anti- antibacterial bee glue. Yeah. So it'll, People you know. People take it as like a supplement. Yeah. But it plugs all the drafts. So it's to keep your hive sort of nice and dry and, uh, you know, weather tight. We haven't talked about varroa mites. What are varroa, varroa mites? Are like another thing that are killing the bee population. I've never like heard this word little, before. It's like a it's like a tick. You know how ticks get on humans? Yes. It's like a tick for bees. And they're the worst. Well, I bought something called a bee gym. Um, and it's basically it's like barbells and <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> and it's like a, it's like a scratching it's like a scratching post for bees. Um, and they've uh, they were trialing them out in France, and I managed to get my my hands on one. And it sits in the bottom of the the base of the hive. And basically, when the bees come in, they can come in and have damn good scratch. So if they've got any, it, it kind of yeah, conditions so their behavior. So they come in and they're kind of like, mm, you know, have a good scratch, getting rid of any mites they may have, which is curious. But um, yeah. I've got one of those tiny little endoscopic cameras um, that you can plug into your yeah. iPhone. So my plan is um, to sort of use that and sort of film them. Because I've seen, I've seen how other beekeepers have filmed it. So I'm going to try and film mine having a good scratch. So yeah, That's another fun part is like there's a lot of literature on beekeeping. So you can read and like everybody's trying something different. So like you can really go your own way. Like you can take the advice of a, a couple beekeepers and be like, okay, but like maybe I'll try this and we'll see what happens. And... I don't know. It's fun because you can kind of be creative. You can be you creative. Can be creative. <laughs> but it's really important to get a mentor as well. You yeah. know, have somebody who knows what they're doing that can offer you advice and guidance. Um, so, again, if you join your local beekeepers association, they'll put you in touch with a bee with a bee buddy that can Shout help. Out to that Nancy. Can, <laughs> that can help you out. Shout out to Doug Litchfield. Hello. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's a really great way of learning. So yeah. Well, I want to thank you both, Abriel and Cara, for joining us on the podcast today. This has been very informative. I've learned a ton. Fun. Thanks for having us. Lovely. Lovely to be here. Thanks. Listeners, to make sure you don't miss an episode of Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and follow at Jewish Boston on social media. We wish everyone out there Shana Tova a happy and sweet new year. Thanks, everybody. 